Good evening. You are listening to the Yen Na podcast. Today is the 24th of the 1st of the 24th year of the <laughs> 2000s. <laughs> 24124. Are we getting superstitious here, Craig? You know, we're not even like two seconds into the podcast. Not at all. I'm just a new, I'm just a closet numerologist. It's not enough for me. When it's the 24th of the 24th month, let me know. Then I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, like where did the other uh, 24 months come from? Months 13 to 24. Mm, We'd have a totally yes. new calendar then. Yes. Anyway. Uh, so, yes, that's that's the special significance of the date. There's a little pattern in there, which means nothing at all. <laughs> but it's fun to write down 24-124. And tomorrow it'll be different. So... And how are we enjoying our summer so far? Um, it's hot, very hot. Yeah, I I still hate the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because because we're on a podcast, our listeners won't be able to see how you've uh, fashionably attired your head this time. Well, for the podcast listeners, because I have curly hair, um. I guess I do buy into some myths and ideas about how to keep my curls in good condition. And one of those things is that I wear really funny things on my head. Um, you know, stuff that are like high, like microfiber towels, T-shirts. Raccoons? Just stuff that, not raccoons. Oh, they look okay. like raccoons, but uh, no, not raccoons. Um, that probably ruined my hair in more ways than one, as well as my scalp. Um, <laughs> All right. So stick to the T-shirts and other weird things that you wear. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hmm. Um, so, uh, starting us off, we've got a, uh, a variety of topics tonight. But oh, oh. Uh, yeah, can I can I jump in before we start the topics? I I have a request sure. of our listeners. I I am begging sure. at the moment. Uh, I begged in the newsletter on the weekend. I'm gonna beg here as well on the podcast. I am looking for someone who has access to turn it in and is allowed to use it. Um, for their own personal projects, because we're in the middle of a a project in the skeptics looking for plagiarism. Well, we found plagiarism. We just want to figure out just how bad it is for this particular plagiarist or person that we think is a plagiarist. Um, so if any of you listeners out there, maybe you work for a university or something like that, and you have access to turn it in and you're able to and allow to submit random documents for testing and you're willing to give us a few hours of your time, I would love to hear from you. Um, this is very much a worthwhile project. If this is piquing your interest, you'll get to find out who our target is if you are able to help us out. You'll get a little advanced sneak peek of what we're doing. Um, but it's it's a fun project so far. There's been three or four of us working on it. Uh, it's been a lot of effort, but we're hoping that Turnitin is going to do better than our existing plagiarism tool, Grammarly, for finding some of the more more obscure stuff, especially like um, paywalled scientific papers. We think we're finding a lot of stuff that the Grammarly, what Grammarly's picking up seems to be another location online that's plagiarized the same source text, but it's not pointing us to the actual source text. It's not it's not saying, hey, here's the paper from 1997 that this was taken from. It's saying, hey, here's another website from 2004 that's got the same content. But when you look at that website, it just looks like more plagiarism. So we're hoping that Turnitin is going to do a better job than Grammarly. So if 
any of you have access to it and are able to help us out, please just email podcast at skeptics.nz. That would be amazing. Hmm. Yes, well, looking at the Turnitin website, it is uh, aimed at academic institutions mm. and you can't just go and say, I want to buy access to Turnitin, well, which well, is Pat, unfortunate. Well, they do have something called iAuthenticate, which I think they are starting to market towards publishers. But I kind of would want, I think in terms of that license, that would probably be quite pricey. And I would also wonder if there'd be some sort of terms and conditions that would limit our usage to, um, say, works that we created versus, say, using that as a fact checker for something that we didn't own. Yeah. Mm. And the other thing is, even that's not an off the shelf solution. As soon as you click the uh, the the button to say that you're interested, it takes you to a contact form where a salesperson will get back to you. So if there was a cheap off the shelf solution that we could buy for a month that was able to do the same thing as turn it in, we'd be very keen. But we've not found it. Grammarly is the closest we've got so far. Mm. I reckon the New Zealand skeptics should just set up a uh, an online diploma mill. And then we could be an <laughs> academic institution and uh, get access to turn it in. Oh, I tempting, mean, tempting. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, looking at Well Park uh, Therapies, and they had a little college for quite a while that recently got shut down last year. Um, I've been doing a little bit of investigating on that for a future article because it's related to Centerpoint because Well Park Therapies was located in Kapaipurapura, which was the former location of Centerpoint. And so that's the Well Park College of Natural Therapies? Yes, we actually had a quick little... Uh, Recce tour when we came and visited uh, Craig on our sojourn to the Mormon temple last year. Mm. And it was really interesting coming across someone had the foresight to put in a OIA request about, you know, how did Well Park Therapies get their qualifications? How did that how did that work? And it's been a very enlightening and interesting process about who what kind of academics they brought in and what were the maybe the original um, critiques that were um, sent towards Well Park College because they were trying to do a couple of different um, diplomas. And I think I think this is for one of their bachelor programs that they were trying to set up. This, Bronwyn, is a rabbit hole that you're going to find yourself in when you suddenly realize that NZQA accredits stuff that's absolute nonsense. Like they accredit homeopathy courses. It goes, yeah, of course, it's fine. But academically, we'll give it our stamp of approval. When you ask them for details, then they'll start telling you, well, we checked the fire exit and that the stairwells were OK, but we kind of trusted the college to check the content for themselves. We figured it's cheaper for us if they do it rather than we do it. But <laughs> yeah, it's it, the more you see about the nonsense that NZQA accredits, the more painful it gets. Though I would say mm. that the, you know, the panel that they had looking at the degree that Well Park was trying to get approved seemed that there was a little, there was some thoroughness, as, as much as, you know, quite a few of the panelists were, you know, sympathetic to homeopathy and alternative medicines. They were saying, hey, look, you know, you're you're collaborating with AUT, but AUT doesn't know that you say that you're say, telling us that you're collaborating with them. You know how does that protect your students? Um, what, what's <laughs> oh, your lab facilities like? What your library is a bit small. <laughs> oh like, well, that's something at least. Yeah. So it's yes. it's 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 interesting. So yeah, when when we went and visited that place, it uh, we drove through a place that had quite a lot of history, didn't we? I wonder, maybe we should have driven through it at night in my Tesla. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, um, that kind of brings up another um, sort of story that's come up recently. And it's actually kind of an old story. Um, something that's an urban legend that's been around since 2000, yeah, 2021. And that's uh, apparently Tesla's 
are big, giant EMF meters. Um, it came up to me on my Facebook page. Somebody was um, sh showing like TikTok videos of someone driving through a cemetery and on their screen, you know, the Tesla is picking up people. And a this couple other stories this I read. This is at night. This and this is at night in an empty cemetery. So you're looking at the window and there are no people, but the Tesla is picking up people. And I've heard in other stories, sometimes they'll pick up animals. So the way that it uh, displays this is the big screen in the front of the Tesla has little models that it draws, right? So it has models for cars and vans, and it's got a model for a pedestrian. And so what you see is these little model people kind of popping up on the screen and then suddenly disappearing again. And the, some of the camera works quite good where they look out the window and there's nothing there, but you look back down at the screen and the Tesla is convinced there's a person there. And of course, the only explanation is ghosts. ghosts. <laughs> so... Um um, you know, Craig, as a as the owner of now a very expensive EMF meter that you'll have to spend a thousand dollars in road user fees to uh, operate. Um, <laughs> what's been your experience? Um, well, I've not specifically gone out and looked for um, for ghosts by driving through cemeteries at night, um, <laughs> but I have had the experience where the sometimes ghost figures will uh, will pop up on the screen. And um, not not to to spoil the story or burst anybody's bubble, but this I guess is just what AI does in that it's all the cameras are looking at the scene and seeing things in the scene, and sometimes it's going to detect a feature that it thinks is a person when it's actually not a person. Mm -hmm. And I guess it works exactly the same way as our own um, vision that sometimes we look and see something and we mistakenly um, see something that's not that thing because our brain is feeding back into our visual cortex and, and, um, and convincing us that we're seeing this particular thing. So I guess the rational explanation for it is that it's exactly what uh, the cameras and the AI built into um, the car are doing. It's it's basically just analysing all its cameras and and using its machine learning and, and putting what it's seeing through uh, that and coming to the conclusion that there's a person there, even when there's not. Now, this is this is something I wrote about a couple of years ago for a similar issue, which was um, the iPhone. So iPhones have had this API added, a bunch of software that's supposed to be good at detecting people. And the reason they've added this API in there, the reason the software's on the thing, is so that people who have bad eyesight or are blind, they can use the phone as a way of... Um, going out to the street and walking and having their phone tell them what's in front of them. So it can do a fairly good job of describing there is a shop front to your right, there are two people walking towards you, and because it's got this API that's programmed to recognise humans and a bunch of other things, um, it does quite a good job of it. Uh, but it turns out that it didn't take long before ghost-hunting people managed to start up companies where they would write apps using this, and the way they did it is one of the options you have when using this API is a sensitivity. How sensitive should it be to detecting things? And they've cranked the sensitivity up to 11 so that wherever you point this camera, it detects a human that's not there. And it draws this little wireframe model of where it thinks the human is. And so these ghost apps are just misusing an API in order to make people think that in all the dark corners of their house, there's a ghost just lurking there. <laughs> I think... Um in many ways, some of the when people have tried to go and fact 
go fact checking regarding the ghost and the Tesla. Yes, you know, it seems to be a sensor for the hazard sensing, um, hazard detection um, software. Mm -hmm. But it also, again, starts trending into um, Tesla hysteria, where people are saying, oh, but that means that there's something wrong with the hazard software, hazard detection software. And that is actually a, a hazard in and of itself. That, you know, that means you should get up, you should update your software. Is that how it works, Craig? If you need to update your software, can you just pop your um, little ta your Tesla tablet into your computer, get the updates? Do you need to take it to no. a no? You take it to a um to a mechanic or a Tesla mechanic no. or something? No, the uh, updates just arrive over Wi-Fi, and when one's available, you just get a little notification on the app to say that there is a a an update ready to be installed and then you choose to when to install it you can schedule it or you can say i want to install it now and it takes about 20 minutes for the update to be applied and but yeah it's not it's not a matter of um you choosing and saying i want to you take this update and i i, I mean i i just uh whenever an update comes out i i go and update um, i guess it would be possible to refuse the update but eventually you probably there will be some point i would think where they force you to take an update i'd imagine especially if it's a security update or something that breaks yeah, compatibility safety. with their yeah. software yeah yeah but again it does sort of tie into that you know oh electric vehicles are dangerous and here's something else that could, they can be dangerous if they start seeing hmm. i mean imaginary, I, imaginary hazards. I, I saw this as the opposite when when i watched this video the first thing i thought was oh okay so you know this is all about probabilities and it's trying to figure out the probability that this is this thing i like to see that it was erring on the side of caution that rather than going nah there's a there's a 50 percent chance that's a human rather than going it's not it was going yeah i'm going to assume it's a human until i've got more data and i know that it's not so uh, i thought that was probably the better way of doing it but let me throw you know it's one thing to be in a quiet cemetery what happens if you're on a highway and it pulls that sort of thing i guess probably the probability then would be oh i'm on a highway unlikely yeah. someone's gonna be running across the road unless of course you're in wellington and you're driving a through bolton cemetery potentially <laughs> you could pick up some ghosts in the middle of the road yeah then. i mean in my experience it's very good it's very good at identifying the orange cones on the side of the road mm -hmm. um and other cars and and so on um and when you're sitting at the traffic lights then pedestrians walk across in front of you and you can see those models animating across the screen people on bikes you can see those so yeah that's reasonably good um just in terms of the updates i guess if you didn't have any wi-fi uh access if you chose not to connect the car to wi-fi then you would never get an update uh and you could essentially drive the car on the software that you got it with on day one uh, mm -hmm. but then you would miss out on a whole bunch of new features that have arrived since <laughs> And I mean, potentially, could there be could it be an issue also with the model of Tesla, like older Teslas having a different sort of software than the newer Teslas or newer sort of um, hardware as well? Uh, certainly, some of the older models uh, have software that was well, new software already has come out that only are compatible with particular models. So there might mm -hmm. be features that come out that aren't available on certain models and certainly not even available in certain localities in the world. Mm -hmm. um, there are some things that you see the release notes come out um, saying there's this feature, but it's only applicable to the Philippines or something like that, because presumably the regulatory environment there is is a bit different in, in terms of the way things operate. Is is they uh, the Philippines feature something like not stopping if you're about to run over a drug dealer or something like that? 
<laughs> well, I think uh, it probably <clears throat> is that uh, if the lights just turn red, you should continue going through it rather than uh, stopping. And uh, actually, Jeez, guys. <laughs> Um, some years ago, um, we were on holiday in Bali and some friends of ours um, hired some scooters to go riding around in the city. And they actually got a ticket for stopping at a red light um, because the the uh, traffic cop said, no, you should have followed all the other scooters and kept riding through the red light. And they wow. got given a ticket because they stopped. <laughs> Not the Bali's in the Philippines, but uh, I no, guess. No, no, sort of that area of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, somebody has gone to jail, apparently. Yes, yes. So, um, you know, following on from our discussion that we had with our guest, Louise Richardson, uh, with the last podcast two weeks ago, we now have an update on Roger Blake, a uh, living human man uh, of the Waikato, and he is going to jail. Well, if he's not already in jail, he is there, he's on his way. Um, basically, he was uh, charged, found you know, found guilty on all the numerous counts uh, laid, laid against him, as well as as his water purifier business under the Medicines Act. And he kind of kept up a lot of his shenanigans that we had talked about. You know, a lot of his sovereign citizen. Um, you know, you even slayed me in previous court um, meetings. He's accused both the. Crown prosecutor and the judge of owing him billions of dollars. But this time around, it seems that he's a little bit contrite. He was saying, you know, I, I did, I'm in deep water. I didn't quite understand court procedures. Had I known, I would have done things differently in the past and I'll do things differently in the future. But, you know, judge, the judge did a good job and really called it, called Roger Blake the task of, you know, you know, are you really sorry for selling a product that could hurt people? Bleach, the, selling you know, bleach a, to people. You know, the harm, you know. <laughs> drink. Just, you know, the harm. Um, there yeah. didn't seem to be, and, and, and none of the um, journalist, journalistic piece that I've come across come across since have dealt with that or have re had any sort of comment on that. And it, it's, it's all so cynical. Like, it's nice to see that it's too little too late and that the judge saw through it. But, you know, going back, like, I remember when I first learned about this guy over 10 years ago, the fact that he ran two websites side by side. Mm -hmm. One website made medical claims about bleach but didn't sell it. And then that one linked to the other website, which sold the bleach but didn't make any medical claims. And somehow with this, he managed to get away with it for far too many years. I mean, it's an obvious trick and everybody could see through it. But technically, apparently, that was a gray area. Mm. And, you know, there was. They did have evidence. They did bring in Mark Grenon um, of the Genesis 2 church and the conversations between Blake and Grenon about, you know, Grenon sort of egging Blake on to becoming a bishop so that people would feel more comfortable with buying the product it's it's completely outrageous um now the reason why he had his sentencing date um last week was back when he i think was it sort of back in december he was they wanted to give him bail but he didn't want to do an interview he didn't want to sign the documents he didn't want to do any of that so so as uh, a sovereign citizen he didn't want to engage with a i guess a court that he didn't recognize that kind of nonsense Exactly. Um, so he went he went to jail for Christmas and the Crown prosecutors, prosecutors did sort of, I guess, take pity on him and say, hey, look, we need to a bring up the court date so he's not in jail longer than he needs to be if he smartens up. And let's also uh, finally assign him a representative. You know, let's assign him some 
you know, a, a, some court assistance. So he did have um, some legal representation to assist him, quote unquote, in court. So he there is the option for bail should he want it. But again, he has to be willing to cooperate with probations. So watch the space. We we may hear more about Roger Blake or he he may he may stay his do his term in jail, though. I think maybe potentially he might cooperate this time. He is claiming that his livelihood was in near ruin um, due to um, the events of the past couple of years. Now, whether that does mean that his um, Natia Water Garden Convention and Function Center is uh, going under, I don't know that. Um, you know, it seems like it's still operational. And he still seems to have supporters because a couple of the articles did mention that the public gallery was full of people there to support him. So, you know, there's people who are, if, you know, if they're not there as, you know, just friends and family, there are people who, you know, believe what he's doing, or at least maybe they're standing behind him as sort of this, you know, anti-COVID, anti-vaccine scene mm. that we now have in New Zealand. So is he in jail at the moment? You, I believe so. Right. But, you know, he, as I said, you can have bail <laughs> if he agrees. Yes. Well, I wonder if the experience of jail will uh, will make him come to well, his senses. Well, well, he did sort of feel that he um, did his, you know, he he paid his debt to society for um, <laughs> the, brief, the brief amount of time. The 28 days he'd already done should be enough punishment, he tried, and the judge was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Would he get another 10 months, was it? Yeah, about that. And um, to pay back MedSafe for over $4,000, which is just half of the cost, of what MedSafe incurred to store all the chemicals that they've um, that they took from Blake during their raid. Yeah, well, hopefully, I mean, is, is his website still up and running? Is he still actually selling Ooh, good the stuff? Question, a good question. I have not checked. I don't want to yeah. look because it would just depress me if it was. <laughs> well, well I, guess, I mean, have... I guess that's the question. Um, has someone come in to fill in the gap, you know, in some other way? You know, someone else selling uh, water purifying supplies, but just not really, you know, making the fool mista fool's mistake of, you know, trying to have two businesses mm. like Blake did. Right. Oh, well, well, yes, as you say, watch the space and we'll um, see how it all turns out in the end. So, um, Mark, we're going circling, are we? There's going I, to be a special uh, event at Rationalist House. I, I would love to try circling, but I do not want to see circling in Rationalist House. And I will explain what I'm talking about here. So I am a um, I'm a council member of the NZARH, the New Zealand Association of Rationalists and Humanists. For anybody that's not aware, um, commonly known just as the Rationalists or the Rats, they're a, an Auckland-based organisation who are interested in humanism and secularism and all the good stuff to do with making sure that religious people don't get any kind kind of unfair advantages. Um, they even have a house in Auckland, which I think we're still looking at using at least for part of our conference this year in Auckland at the end of the year. Um, Rationalist House on Simon Street. It's kind of an awesome building, but also kind of an old building that's... Um, that's not getting any younger and uh, is becoming more of an albatross around the organization's neck. So they are hoping to sell it in the next few years. But for now, before they sell it, we we ended up having an offer the other day. Um, someone that went past it on a bus and 
emailed as a result saying, hey, I saw Rationalist House. I feel we're aligned. Um, we're doing some courses over here. We're wondering if we could do a course at your place, use your facilities for circling. Um, and... I received this email. I was one of a few council members that were asked, hey, hey, what do we think of this? And um, as soon as I saw Circling, it was called Circling Europe, um, and it's capital I, C, capital C, and capital E. And it was like, okay, this sounds a little bit odd. What the heck is Circling? So I just did like 10, 15 minutes of searching online just to get my head around what the heck it was. In my newsletter article, I, I wrote a little bit about, you know, what I could find out in 10, 15 minutes, which wasn't a huge amount. But, you know, the first thing I did was go to their website, right? So I went to the website. I looked at the about page, flicked through a few other pages and, I guess by now I'm I'm pretty attuned to looking for the nonsense and I found a few bits of nonsense on there stuff that even in their own words made me think I'm not sure this is rational or well aligned to rationalism um and I watched a video which just made me even more confused like a short 5 minute video about what is circling and it was like now I definitely don't know what circling is but the more I read the more I got concerned, even if I wasn't quite sure what it was. And so I very quickly fired off a response to my fellow council members. My first paragraph, as I say in the newsletter, was not the politest. Um, I might have gone a little bit overboard. But the thing I wanted to get across was this does not look aligned with us. This looks like a therapy um, that isn't evidence-based that like it, it looks like the precursor to a cult you know it's the kind of thing where this might carry on for 40 years and not go anywhere it might carry on for 40 years and end up with 20 people who have dedicated their whole lives to it and half of them are being abused at the expense of the other half it's hard to tell but it's got all those hallmarks of an organization that they're kind of a group of people that get so intensely connected to each other, um, like Centerpoint and like other groups like this, that I just had this like, oh, this is going to go horribly wrong. And, you know, this it's not scientific. Um, so just to get across what circling is, and I'm going to try and do this briefly. Basically, it's a therapy. It's it's a way of people helping to improve their lives, help with their mental state, where people get into a circle. It can be a circle of a few people, maybe three or four, up to 20 or 30. Um, you sit in this circle. You normally have a facilitator, somebody who kind of guides the session. And in the session, it's either a free-for-all where everybody talks and the talking bounces between people, or a single person is picked in what's called a birthday circle as if it's their birthday and everything is focused on that. Everybody else in the circle is focused on them and what's going on in their life. And you can talk about anything in this circle. You can pick whatever you like to talk about. But the big thing that they try to do is they say the thing you Things you can't talk about are anybody else's motivations, anybody else's feelings, because you can't know those. All you can know about are your own feelings. So you need to talk about how you feel. So if someone talks to you and it upsets you, the way that you respond to them is saying, you're making me feel upset right now. Um, and so I've gone on to watch like a few longer videos about this, and it gets to the point of people saying things. And it, it's like radical honesty, where you've got to be as honest as you can about what these feelings are. People are saying things like, I really feel like I want to punch you in the face right now. I just, I, I, I'm getting this feeling and I know it's wrong, 
but you've really upset me and I want to punch you. Um, and it's like that. So you're, you're just being told to be as honest as you possibly can. And what people are apparently finding from this therapy is that it opens up parts of their lives they didn't realize, that it helps them to get rid of deep-seated traumas and issues from their childhood. And again, this is starting to sound like, you know, the, the usual stuff our skeptics see when it comes to these therapies, that it's pseudoscientific, it makes big promises, um, and from what I can tell, I'm, I'm not seeing good evidence that it actually delivers anything useful. But yeah, so that's my overview. Did that make sense to you guys? Do you want to try it with me? Shall the three of us sit in a circle at some point and just talk about our feelings? Well, well if we, we could do that find... Skeptics in the Pub. Yeah, if we could find a round table at Skeptics in the Pub, you could approximate it. Absolutely. And I did at the very end of my article, I put a picture from the news recently of us in Skeptics in the Pub. We had like a, a nice little, uh, not quite a puff piece, but an article about groups you might know about, in, might not know about in Wellington. And they featured the Skeptics in the Pub group, our local group. And so I put the picture in there um, as kind of a, a counterpoint. I mean, we do sit in circles and we probably don't talk about our feelings so much or at all, but we do sit in a circle and talk. But yeah, I just... I just got a horrible vibe from this. And the more I looked into it, you know, I looked into the the claim that it's rational uh, and apparently that there were there were rational groups in Europe and the USA that were really interested in it. I couldn't find evidence of this. I found a couple of blog posts written by people that do circling on a website called Less Wrong, which thinks it's rational. And that's about as close as I could find. But even the claims in that, you know, there's claims about um seeking god and being able to cure addiction and and all the kind of stuff we see from other unproven therapies where they they just you know magically it can do everything it's an amazing therapy look how it helped this person with his marriage help that person with that of course what we don't hear is everybody that's been damaged by it everybody that lost money and didn't get anything useful out of it the only people left over the only people who are in the documentaries and talking about it online are those few for which they feel that it works um, and I, I can't help but get the feeling with this one that it's probably doing more bad than good. It's just we're only going to hear from the few people that think it's doing good for them. Mm. I mean, it just sounds like some sort of talk therapy, I suppose. And um, I guess talking about your feelings can't uh, be all that bad, but I don't think there's any uh, significance of sitting around in a circle with everybody's feet pointing at each other and... I don't know. When you say maybe it can't maybe be that's that what bad. You're doing. Maybe that's what you're doing wrong at Skeptics in the Pub. You need to have your feet up on the table with your shoes off so you're all pointing at each other. And we need to talk about our feelings. But no, when, when you say that talking about your feelings can't be all that bad, if you're told you have to always be totally honest with everybody else in the circle about how you feel, I think that could be damaging. I think there are, there are certain personality types that don't want to hear how much you want to stab them in the throat. Um, and I think <laughs> that, you know, telling them they just have to deal with it and listen to it and respond with how they feel about the idea of being stabbed in the throat, that's probably not healthy for a lot of people. I think yeah. we actually see some videos of this Um is it New Zealand on air or one of those sort of um, online archives? They do have videos of this going on in Centerpoint because I think there were a couple of early Centerpoint documentaries from the 80s. Right. Where they record and people would, you know, they record people like sort of stand, you know, a couple, just one or two people standing up and talking about all the things that frustrate them about mm. the community. 
which is oh, also yeah. an interesting dog, which is also a very interesting dy- dynamic. But also sometimes it can be a complaint about, hey, I wanted my car. Why wouldn't you let me have my car? Sort of. Well, they they did that therapy with the children as well at the center point, yeah. didn't they? Where they had them all basically, or they had the adults tell each child in turn what was wrong with them and why they weren't happy with them, and that just sounded so unbelievably damaging. But one thing I saw with this circling that was just, ah, it's history repeating. And I mentioned in the article about um, NLP, um, not the not the natural language processing, processing but neuro-linguistic programming, mm-hmm. the idea mm-hmm. that you can use your words to program someone and subconsciously get them to do what you want. That, that organization went through um, at least one schism and it fractured and everybody argued over who owned the copyright. I think it was Brindler and someone else got in. A, the two originators got in a big fight. I looked at this one. It turns out there are three circling organizations of which one of them is somewhat defunct, but the other two have their own methods of circling. Um, and then you've got a circling federation, which is run by the guy that started circling. And he polices who can call themselves a circling group and who can't. Uh, and everything's got a registered trademark attached to it. Uh, <laughs> it just for something that tries to look so hippie, it, it looked really business as soon as I saw all of this kind of registered trademarks and who can do business under what names. Um, it felt a little bit more cutthroat than the, I guess, the thing they were trying to project. Um, and presume I mean, the courses don't look too expensive, but presumably people are making money from it. I mean, the people that are running the course over here, they've flown over from Europe and I think they're flying over again in a couple of months. So, you know, they're making enough money out of this, I guess, that they're able to fly around the world offering it. I guess there must be some paying customers over here then who are convinced of its uh, usefulness. Yeah. So, Bronwyn, when it comes to Wellington, do you want to go and, and do a circle? No, this is not my bag. <laughs> Hanging out with other people that I don't know. It's it, it, no. It, I mean, I and guess talking I, about I, your feelings. Yeah, talking about my feelings. <laughs> what are they? They don't exist. Uh, but no, I, I guess it, I guess in in some ways it's a weird sort of protective measure for me against cults and other uh, sort of coercive groups. Is that yeah? I don't yeah. like to share myself. I don't like to share information. Uh, I guess I'm highly suspicious. <laughs> about what people can do, what people may want to do with that information and how that can be used against me in sort of, you know, by by in ways and by people who are probably sneakier and a little bit more manipulative than me. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's $40, so I'm kind of half tempted and I try to live my life as something of an open book, just be so honest that it scares people away. Um, so I think maybe circling would probably work for me. <laughs> well, you could go along and talk to them about your feelings about how you think it's all bullshit. This is like I, I was trying to get myself in the headspace of how would I actually be in a circle if I honestly engage with it? And honestly, I think that's how I'd be. I, <laughs> I'd just be like, I don't believe that's how you actually feel. And I don't believe you should be bringing that up. Um, I, I think I'd probably be a disruption to the group and I wouldn't be invited back again. Be ejected from the circle. <laughs> <laughs> I'd make my own little circle of one. <laughs> uh, Robman, apparently there's yet more news about this stuff. God, the news just keeps on coming. But yes, uh, for people who've been following sort of the hot issues with Hayden, with Istan Hayden, and the sort of accountability feedback process that started back in 2022, um, around the time that I started writing about Istan and Hayden, there was also some sort of movement of people who had attended Ista and Hayden who were 
you know, starting to connect and communicate and trying to, you know, voice that, you know, some very dodgy, shady, problematic, and probably almost downright, um, well, you know, if you're talking, you know, talk, talking about people being harmed, maybe potentially potentially criminal things, I guess would be sort of uh, the way I'd safely phrase it. Um, those things happening, um, accusations of that happening within the ISTA organism. So to step back a bit, um, Haydn is a temple just outside Palmy, Palmerston North. And well, it's, Ista... it's, 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 it's a manor that calls itself a temple. <laughs> okay. And ISTA, the International School of Temple, School of Arts, temple Arts, is what? It well, these um, ISTA specifically is kind of about tantra, um, shamanism, tantra, tantra, sex, tantra, intimacy as well. Um, they do say that you don't need to have sex. You don't, you know, you can get through the programs without engaging in any of the activities. So it's quite hard to do. And they offer courses, and these courses are held around the world um, by, you know, not just, you know, they they sort of advertise like faculty, which are kind of like rock stars within the organization. Um, but those that those three or four faculty members are supported by a team of trainee apprentices as well, people who are sort of up and coming throughout the organization. It's there have been, you know, people. There's people who say, you know, hey, look, this has been great, and I love it, as you do with any sort of group. But there's also, you know. People who have come forward at great cost to themselves, to their mental well-being, to the recovery from trauma and saying, hey, look, what's sometimes happening in these groups, it's 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 not good. It's not safe because in many cases, some of these facilitators are not well trained to deal with people who are coming into the space with their own trauma. And they're not. And there's also been some issues with um, this, the containers themselves, a container being what they call these sort of specialized spaces that, that occur, that form within these groups in which people can, you know, sort of free themselves from the rules and social constraints and societal so, constraints. So it's people who have been to ISTA courses and who have been damaged, who've had various issues. They've kind of got together to push for this mediation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they were trying. They first started to try to collect a lot of information, like collect a lot of different cases. And yeah, they tried to bring. They brought. They were able to bring ISTA into the um, accountability process with a group called Safe Mediation. In terms of Haydn, um, Haydn's being treated as a very separate organism. It's not quite clear why that division happened, even though Bruce is sort of involved in both ISTA and Haydn. Haydn itself is its own mystery school, um, very much as I I'm trying to write about in the next sort of set of articles about channelers. A lot of Bruce's, particularly his early work, was very much based in the works of Alice Bailey, who was a neo-theosophist and very much a leading think, uh, a leading quote-unquote thinker within, and writer within New Age practice. You're referring to Haydn as an organism. Yes. So, well, ISTA is more of the organism. Haydn, I would say, is actually a little bit more of a formal organization in the sense that it has a a building and a headquarters. Um, the use of the word organism was to initially a concept of it, I guess, between Babadez and or Bruce Nick or Rob, Robert Nichols and Bruce Lyon was to allow ISTA to have the freedom to just people can just you know the facilitators could organize meetings whenever they could and then they'd have this website as sort of a central information dissemination system so 
where like, I think I do believe that they have there is they, like I mean they do have a bank account they are something of a tax entity or charity entity within the U.S. Uh, but being an organism without a headquarters without a formal structure of who is the boss and who is you know your comms person who is doing this role who is doing that role um, means that there's sort of a bit more uh, ideally in theory less of you know it's more of a horizontal structure rather than a vertical structure um mm. but it's very clear that you know from the beginning that you know ista was kind of baba dez's baby and they did have senior faculty which included bruce lyon um ohad peli um you have people within the inner circle as well like um kamala devi people who show up you know there's a couple of names who show up in the um sex magic documentary that baba dez did a few years ago um they're sort of high up and necessarily certainly have a high they're they're high like they are looked up to they're highly influential people within ista um hmm. but now as these sort of pro uh, as these sort of issues have come to the forum come public now ista actually has to act like a business and look at the risks and think about okay well actually we do need to have an accountability structure because when you don't have an accountability structure where can people lever the complaints to and where can people feel that they have they're receiving justice because you know there's also within sort of these spaces these tantra spaces even sometimes it shows up in this website that we're going to talk about, the people who sort of brought it into uh, mediation. There can be a perspective that tantric sex is not safe. You know, it's sort of a, you know, you know, as we saw, what was that sign in ISTA? You know, you chose this. Um, mm. So it's trying to avoid the idea of having, you know, there is no, you know, there is no criminals. There is no perpetrators because there are no victims. Mm. Yeah. And I think on top of this, as we've talked about before, you know, the kind of issues they're dealing with that they seem possibly willfully oblivious to are things like those power imbalances. When when you're a trainer and when you are a rock star of the organization, as you described earlier, Bronwyn, and people look up to you, you might think that when you have sex with one of your students during a course that it's all fine and, and everybody's cool with it. But you've really got to be aware of that power imbalance and how much these people are looking up to you and how much or how easy it is to abuse a situation like that. And it seems like some of the people involved in this, they just, they don't want to hear. It's kind of fingers in the ears, la, la, la. No, I'm a perfect person. How dare you accuse me of taking advantage of this? And mm -hmm. it's just horrible to see when they're just not willing to even engage with any kind of criticism about that. Yeah. And when I was sort of writing a couple of months ago about their, you know, about how they sort of tried to say Steve Assange's uh, bite model says we're not a cult and this Israeli anti-cult organization is wrong. You know, there is still a very, a very snotty attitude towards criticism, but sort of stepping where we are now. And the people who sort of were forming the issues of Haydn, Ista and Haydn, they became something a little bit more formal called the three SC, which stands for safer sex, positive and spiritual communities. So they were the ones who entered mediation with ISTA, though they even though they're not sort of doing anything formal at the moment with Haydn. And I don't know what the plan is with Haydn. Um, they have communicate. They have there have been a couple of meetings with Bruce, according to their timeline. They've spent probably the past you know year or so in the sort of mediation process. And it seems that at least three of the faculty members, Ohad Peli, um, Eugene Headland, and uh Another one, Booty Dana, are going through the accountability process. Only the accountability process with Booty or uh, has come has been published. Um, there was one for Andrew Barnes, but Andrew Barnes has long since been out of ISTA, so his stuff is a little bit separate from ISTA. Even though may, I think some of the incidents involved do involve things regarding um, regarding things that happened under while he was working with ISTA. 
So it's it's interesting to see what's coming out, how that accountability process goes, um, and sort of that, that really strange balance that you have to that needs to be struck with a mediation between the idea of restorative justice, but also you know how much do you need to give them natural justice, which is you know sort of the naming of the people who are accusing you or who are putting forward complaints about what you've done. In this process, I think that's a very, you know, that's very interesting because some people are like, hey, I need to know these names. I need to know. And the mediator sometimes in certain cases have their hands tied saying, I can't tell you that. You just need to understand that, you know, people are, you know, saying these things and they're saying that they've been hurt by your actions. Can you yeah. understand that? Just mm. because we can't give you the name of the person because they want to be anonymous doesn't mean this isn't a valid complaint about the awful stuff that you've done. And I, I guess psychologically, it's it's easy to do that, right? To say, well, you know, if you're not giving me the name, how am I supposed to believe it's even true? And that will make these people feel better about themselves. But mm. um, yeah, sometimes, especially with this kind of situation, you, you, I mean, you've got to be really careful. And if you've messed up, you just need to make amends for it. Mm. And but, you know, we also know that when we're watching the sex magic documentary, whether that was that whole mediation that Baba Des had with a former um, student or, a, you know, sort of a colleague, whether that was staged or not, is not clear. But it does sort of show that maybe at least, you know, some of them are, you know, if they do feel that there's a mediation necessary, they they at least have the cash that they can pay for a private mediator. But I don't know how often that opportunity is taken up on. Yeah. And for anybody that, that wants to know a background to everything we're talking about, that documentary Sex Magic is is well worth watching. It's a real eye opener. Mm. So, yeah. So where they are um, now, the mediation process is essentially closed. Um, the next steps for the three SC, I think, I think they're they're still kind of going. They're still taking on reports if people want to submit a report about something that's happened with them in sort of that tantric space. But I don't think they are kind of eager to go into another sort of prolonged mediation process. The 3SC is largely uh, manned by volunteers. Um, however, if I got all this wrong and someone from 3SC wants to uh, ha happily uh, you know, tell me what I got wrong and what my misunderstandings are, absolutely. I'd be happy to have happy to talk with you and happy to have you on the podcast so we can uh, pick your brains a little bit more. So but, I've, just, uh, I've just looked up the Six Magic documentary. Apparently it's available on Prime Video. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, what I found yeah. interesting, Bronwyn, reading the, the joint statement they released mm -hmm. was like the last paragraph really tells you that this thing was, I think, a little bit of a rocky road for both parties. It says, um, in closing, while there's certainly been friction and disagreements between 3SC and ISTA, we firmly believe that we're allies, yada, yada, yada. Our ideas may clash, but our purposes are aligned. So mm -hmm. just reading that, like I was expecting something more warm and fuzzy at the end, but I, I think they probably wanted to get across that this has not been an easy process and that it sounds like it's it's been a continual fight trying to, I guess, get justice. Those people harmed coming up against the brick wall, probably sometimes of those who did the harming and don't want to admit to it. And then how do you deal in an organization where there is quite an enmeshment within that faculty of, you know, you know, your rock stars, but the friends of the rock stars, you know, um, the people who are up and coming, the people who are their mentors and the people that they're mentoring to take on sort of more of these faculty roles. Um, I think it's very, I think it's very, yeah, I think it's a dicey situation for a lot of people within the organization. And it's a lot of hard questions. And I think a lot of people are, I think there's probably been, hopefully, I hope that there has been some sort of struggle and dark nights of the soul within the faculty of Vista to consider, you know, you know, are the people I'm working with, do I know them as well? Should I be, you know, 
should I be as trusting with my body, with my autonomy, with my physical autonomy as I have been, you know, do I feel comfortable with sharing that sort of responsibility with, you know, of these students who, you know, people claim that they care for, or, you know, they care about. So yeah, watch the, this space <laughs> as always with all my stuff, it's watch this any, space. For anybody who's interested in um, looking at, at what this decision's like and, you know, the kind of issues, I guess, that have been going on in this community, uh, if you go to 3sc.community, the website, there is a document that talks about the changes that they've made. So things like having an accountability page and the ability to... Um, to submit an anonymous report if you've been abused and then other things like you know telling trainers that they shouldn't be having sex with students while on a course and stuff stuff that's bleeding obvious to the rest of us but these people need to have been told about it and when you think about it like ista you know in terms of like from the very origins with baba des it's been around since like what 2011 2012 and here we are like 2024 nearly 12 years later it's just something that's being applied now that it's only just now that they have to act. You know, I, I kind of wonder exactly how long ago they actually sort of, you know, became aware that, you know, oh, wait, maybe things aren't as, you know, safe or as, you know, easy and copacetic as they thought it was going to be. Hmm. You know, because, you know, there's, there's, you know, the, within these organizations, there's always going to be like a bit of a lag time between, oh, shit, something's going wrong. And, oh, shit, now we actually have to do something. And these courses are not expensive, uh, not cheap either. They're pretty <laughs> expensive. So yeah. um, I was thinking if I start a fundraiser, maybe if I can raise $5,000, the skeptics can uh, send me to ISTA to investigate for a week. No. <laughs> I'm telling Karen. <laughs> oh, it would be done with her knowledge. It would be fine. <laughs> you think one of the instructors would want to have sex with you, Mac? <laughs> I can only hope. <laughs> uh, therein lies the problem with funding you for this yeah we're all gonna see him on the, on the faculty page oh, you kind of fit oh, in mark you kind of fit in i probably do don't i middle-aged desperate man I, they wouldn't bat an eyelid uh, maybe you just need to grow out that beard a little bit more you know yeah and i, I, I think I, I think I dress a little bit too, you know, suburban. I, I need suburban. I need something. I don't know. Like, do I need to wear one of those, like, robes or something? I've got to go a little bit different. I think you just probably need to go to one of those, um, was it India, that India shop down in uh, Cuba Street and just get some, you know, tribal ethnic, faux ethnic clothing. Yeah, yeah, I've got to do something to stop Sheepies. me looking like a biker, right? I, I, I look like I ride a Harley Davidson, not like I'm going to go to a hippie commune. Or maybe you just need to start wearing more white beaters, you know, do the, uh, you know, the Baba Des, Bruce Lyon, get some skinny oh. jeans. Oh, me in a singlet is not going to be good. Let's not wish that on anyone. But maybe we should not talk about the physicality of people and focus on the ideas. But as I said, you go to Ista, I am telling Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending her copies of Sex.Life and be like, this is what Mark's up to. All right. Just FYI. Deal. FYI. <laughs> <laughs> but first, I've got to raise the five raise the $5,000, and I don't think our listeners are going to give me that money, sadly. Yeah. I don't think we can justify that as a committee expense either. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Definitely not. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, okay, so our last topic is 
me, I wrote about a debate that I watched. So this was between Dr. Zachary Ardern, um, or Ardern, I think as he pronounces it, um, and uh, a guy who runs a YouTube channel called Rationality Rules, this is uh, Stephen Woodward, and so um, this was this was done at a UK high school. Um, so the reason I'm writing about this is because uh, Dr. Zachary Ardern is actually a Kiwi. Um, he is a Christian apologist, um, but he has a PhD in evolutionary biology. So that's a bit of a uh, a rarity, I guess, in the Christian apologist circles. So there was this. Uh, debate that was done between these two gentlemen and it was titled uh, Does Theism or Naturalism Better Explain Reality? And of course, uh, Zach, uh, as, as he's known, uh, was on the side of uh, theism. So he's arguing for there being a God, which is uh, better explains reality than uh, naturalism. And interestingly, in the debate, they kept referring to it as uh, as the debate between whether theism or atheism better explained the, the natural universe. And I guess that was a bit bit of a misnomer there, because as essentially what atheism is 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 a, is a belief that that there are no gods. I guess um, I guess most of us, all of us in this in this. Uh, Podcast and probably refer to ourselves as atheists, yes, or have we got some closet believers in here? No, I'm anti-theist. Um, anti-theist, <laughs> well, <I do>, yes. <laughs> as well, yes, yes. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, yeah. So what? So the uh, the debate um, was actually only about fifty minutes long, which is actually quite refreshingly short. It was at a, a UK high school. Um, so Zach present Zach went first, and he presented his arguments. The main arguments that he makes is that he thinks that uh, God is the explanation for the existence of laws of nature, and uh, that that to me just seems a little bit weird. And he seems to be sort of going down this path of being quite close to what you hear from your typical creationist. Um, a, Christian apologists, where they talk about their if there are laws of nature, there has to be a lawgiver, um, which which seems seems a bit bit wrong to me. Um, I think when we talk about laws of nature, all we're talking about is the rules essentially that have been discovered that describe how nature works. It's not like there's a rule book that the universe is following that says that when I drop this ball uh, under the influence of gravity, then the ball has to move in this particular um, direction and so on. It, it, it just does because that's what gravity does. So the, the laws of nature are essentially describing the way reality works. Yeah, but I mean, when, when you say he's a creationist, like he's, he's not a young Earth creationist, right? So no, Zach no. is not the type of guy that thinks that the Earth was made 6,000 years ago and that humans were put in place starting with Adam and Eve. But also, interestingly, you know, I guess not so surprisingly, given his science background and the fact that he actively works as a biochemist, he's not really an intelligent design proponent either. Like the standard intelligent design argument that evolution could almost get us there, but there are places where it would get stuck 
stuck. There are features that are obviously God designed, like the bacterial flagellum and things like that. He doesn't really go there. He kind of takes another step back and he says, look, there are a set of consistent laws of nature and those need to be in place and they need to be set to the right values to allow evolution to even get started and end up millions of years later, a few billion years later, with the masterpiece that is humanity. And his argument then is that obviously it's God that will have decided to put those laws in place to make them consistent and to dial all the values to the right places that life could appear. Mm. Yeah, I'm not so I'm not so certain about your assessment of his um support for intelligent design. I think that oh. he is quite quite aligned with the intelligent design camp and from what i've heard him say he one of his reasons for studying evolution is to try and discover the essentially the places where perhaps god has been twiddling with the details to allow particular um outcomes of evolution i guess okay Um, so that very much is intelligent design I, i think i think so yeah um and i think when uh, Stephen Meyer, who was who's uh, one of the senior fellows at the Discovery Institute in the US, who's who are the think tech that um, that support intelligent design. When he was over here, I think uh, Zach was a was a bit of a supporter of his. Um, so yeah, he. But in terms of um, the age of the universe, yes, he accepts that the universe is. Uh, 13.8 billion years old. Um, I guess he also accepts that the Earth is 4.5 billion years old. Um, we had him along to the Auckland Skeptics of the Pub probably a, a decade or so ago. And at that time, he was essentially saying that the way he saw it was that God created the universe and then uh, the arrival of Jesus on Earth 2000 and something years ago was the culmination of God's plan. So God spent all this time, um, 13, well, 9 billion years before the earth even existed, um, having everything sort of play out so that uh, Jesus could arrive on earth uh, that long ago and, and redeem the human race. Oh, <laughs> Seems I mean, I, just a little I, bit I, implausible I, to me. It does seem ridiculous. Like on a personal note, I can't help but like Zach in a way. Like you know, turning up to a skeptics in the pub—that's a ballsy move, right? That—that's good of him to step into the lion's den. And I know a few years ago he was giving a talk in Palmerston North, and I organised a road trip where we drove up and sat in the audience and asked him some prickly questions. And then at the end, I invited him out for a pint, and so a few of us went to the pub next door and uh, had a drink and a chat for a while. So it's good that he's engaging. And what I found interesting in this debate um, that you'd watch was that he wasn't just talking about atheists. He kept dropping the word skeptic as well, which I was like, oh, that's nice. And I wonder if that's because he has engaged with the skeptical community in New Zealand, that skeptic is on his mind as well as atheist. Mm. I remember when I first encountered him that he claimed essentially that Christianity was a very sceptical religion, that it was very much evidence-based. But then when you try to pin him down on what sort of evidence would prove or disprove it, that's where it got a bit more difficult. I think he was talking about uh, the the resurrection uh, was something that could be proved or disproved, and there would be you'd be able to find evidence that disproved the resurrection. <laughs> but to actually trying to convince him of that, I think would be, yeah, would be pretty difficult. 
yeah. So, so yeah so I, I think he's pretty firmly on the on the side of um yeah, his beliefs have influenced the way he's uh the way he see things sees things in science um one of the interesting claims that he made was that um it, it's only god's rational laws and the way the universe is set up that result in the universe being uniform and that essentially everywhere we look we see the laws of the universe working the same everywhere um and of course we haven't visited everywhere in the universe yet but when we point our telescopes uh, out into deep space uh, all of the uh, laws of the universe seem to be the same everywhere um it, it to me would be really weird if in fact we did find some place in the universe where the laws were different because that would indicate that the either there was some underlying reality that we we hadn't discovered the laws for or there was essentially a some capricious god or something actually mm. operating things and twiddling things to make it different in that particular part of the universe so yeah, as soon as you I, end up with a complexity like that you have to have an explanation for it right and so yeah. simplicity the occam's razor thing um simplicity is more likely to be true yeah i've heard this before from uh, creationists you know arguing like well if there was no god every atom would be a different weight they wouldn't all be the same and uniform and it's just like oh oh this is just such a silly argument <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and one of the weirder, what weird, one of the weirder arguments he had was that God's rationality allows our knowledge of non-physical realities. So he went down the sort of route of saying that um, if the brain is just a physical construct, then how is it able to understand things like emotions and and mathematics and things that are non-physical? I mean, it's hard to argue against that because essentially it's a non sequitur, but just. There's just the logic isn't there that yeah why why would it be that our brains couldn't understand those sorts of things uh, when in fact we've evolved because understanding those sorts of things is useful. But I, th I think his big message was uh, that God has explanatory power, right? So he's saying, you know, like any good scientific theory, it's not a good theory unless it can explain things. And he's trying to argue that similarly, God has this explanatory power. And when asked what kind of things God can explain, it was just a God of the gaps. And God of the gaps is the idea that God is used wherever there are gaps in scientific knowledge to say, well, God did it. And, mm -hmm. you know, as, as we talk about in atheism, those gaps are getting smaller smaller and smaller. The more we understand about the universe, the smaller the, those gaps are that God needs to plug. Uh, but he came out with things like consciousness. He thought consciousness was was proof of God. Um, and it's an explanatory power of the God hypothesis is, you know, God would want beings that loved him. And so he'd have to make conscious beings that that would be the explanatory power. But to me, that it's not. It's like you can't like it's working backwards right they've, they've come from we exist back to a god and now they're going from a god back to therefore this shows that we would have to exist if this god existed therefore god exists and it's just it's working ass about face on the whole mm. thing and like consciousness yet yeah, we don't understand it we, we haven't got it figured out yet that's not to say we're not going to figure it out and given everything we figured out so far it's likely we're going to get there in a little while yeah. Um, so one of the other arguments he made was that um, God precisely chose the laws of the universe to make sure that it supported life. Now, that's the anthropic principle, because if, if the universe didn't support life, then we wouldn't be here to observe it. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. And, and on top of that, 99.99999% of the universe does not support life and is horribly inhospitable to life. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so on the other side of the debate, Stephen Woodward did a did a pretty good job, I think, um, of presenting mm. the rational side of things. He was quite eloquent. Uh, he gave some very good examples. Um, he gave sort of all the standard stuff about how uh, supernatural explanations have never been found for things. Uh, there's always natural explanations that actually win the day. Um, and so, yeah, it made, made a lot more sense to me, but I might be just be biased, biased. because I'm not a believer. <laughs> And he pushed that idea of ontological depth. He was he was basically arguing that if you posit a God to answer this, there are a lot of consequences to positing this. As soon as you say a God, we have to look at what else does this need to explain and what other what other consequences are there to this God existing? And, you know, every time God is a solution to one problem, he becomes another five problems. There's so many other things that you need to answer that get more confusing when you put God into the equation. Mm, mm, yes, it's a, a simpler explanation without God being present. And he, he had some really nice examples of that as well. I think he, he really did his homework and he presented, as you said, pretty well. But I think, mm. yeah, that groundwork that he'd done, presumably watching um, Zachary's previous debates and things like that, it seemed like he was fairly well versed in the kind of stuff that Zach was going to say. Mm. Um, he, he also brought up some of the... Um, the things from the Bible that probably uh, things about the Bible supporting slavery and the and the treatment of women and and Zach had to do a bit of a dance around how things could be interpreted differently these days. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which was a bit difficult. Um, so one of the points that Zach made was that um, finding anomalies that a theory doesn't explain is not necessarily fatal to that theory. Um, which, which I guess, I guess, in some sense, is true in that um, theories are only models of the world, and they don't explain the world completely. Um, and so, the, there can always be anomalies that that mean that the theory needs tweaking a bit. Um, but I guess to compare that to saying that um, that God is like a theory, and uh, here are these anomalies like the existence of evil and so on that. Um, they're not fatal to the um, theory of God because they're just an anomaly that needs to somehow be explained. Uh, yeah, be, being a okay with slavery and and all sorts of other things, just an anomaly. It's fine yeah. um, until it wasn't okay. Yeah, and I I like Stephen Woodford's point that um, you know it it wasn't just rando Christians that were were reading the bible and interpreting it this way it was their saints it was it was the yes. best and the brightest of the christian world for 2000 years have been interpreting it this way and these these are people that are meant to be inspired by god so how the hell did they get it wrong mm, yeah yeah indeed. and and then he like the really pointed bit at the end but then zach has figured it out and i thought that was <laughs> quite a pointed barb <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. think I want to state here that I would love to see. Has Zach actually ever uh, spoke to Ray Comfort? Have they had a little bit of a debate or a tête-à-tête? Because that would, uh, would be don't, that, don't that would be interesting. So. <laughs> yes, yeah. two Kiwis overseas that are both Christian but have really different beliefs about evolution. That would be fun. I, I observing the sort of discussions in the early days. I think Zach actually probably did annoy a lot of Christians because they expected him to be much more 
of a young earth creationist type. Um, and they got a bit annoyed that he was saying that actually, well, yes, evolution is real. It does explain how life came to be. And mm. so, yeah. <sighs> but uh, yeah, no, it's, I think it's well worth watching the debate. It's uh, quite entertaining and it's only 50 minutes long. So um, certainly, certainly interesting to watch. Where to now? Well, if you're in Wellington on Friday, you can absolutely come to Skeptics in the Pub at the Intercontinental Hotel on 2 Gray Street. We'll always be inside the hotel in the lobby lounge and not in the 2 Gray Street restaurant, which is next door to the Intercontinental Hotel. That'll start at 6 p.m. this Friday, uh, January 26. Um, it's just a good time. You know, it's just really um, having some banter drinking some drinks and, uh, you know, enjoying the menu. We hope to see you there. And then, Mark, what's happening on Thursday? And Yeah, next week on Thursday, we have our activism. Um, last time, we actually worked on this plagiarism case. So, again, if you want a sneak peek as to uh, who our target is, please come along to our activism meeting. Um, we've got the hair analysis project going on, and we've got this plagiarism case that we're working on. So, if you want to have a look at those two and get involved, um, come along. First complaint in, you get a free pint. Um, no, no updates regarding Dunedin skeptics in the pub. I think they're still on hiatus, but uh, we'll start advertising their meetings as soon as they post them on meetup.com. Probably mm. taking a well-earned rest after the conference, I imagine. A little bit of a breather. Yes, a well-deserved one. And Auckland skeptics in the pub will be back uh, in February. Uh, it would normally be on the 6th of February, which is Waitangi Day. So we've decided to move it a week later to my birthday on the 13th Yay. of February. Everybody who turns up, please bring Craig a small present from the dollar store. <laughs> or band together and get something worthwhile for me. <laughs> no, get him useless tat, please. Don't listen to him. <laughs> so anyway, so that'll be on the 13th of February at the Dice and Fork. All right, I awesome. think that's it. <laughs> that, that, that's that's it. it for events. We should organize some other events. Oh, cyberspace. Is that when's that, Bronwyn? Two weeks? Yes. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Right, two yeah, weeks. Been, two weeks. Been... Oh, week and a half. A week and a half. half. Friday yeah, so, after so, so Friday next, next Friday. Weekend. Yeah, next Friday. So that will also be at six PM. Um we usually have that on we always have that on Zoom. So I will be posting up the link on our Facebook page. And it's always um advertised on our meetup page as well. Okay, well, it's not, a week and a I, half. I yeah. prefer not to use relative dates here. What is an actual date that this is going to be on? Friday the... <laughs> um, it'll be Friday the 2nd of February, 2024. When, so, and when Bronwyn says two, it'll be two, on Meetup, two, four. it's not on Meetup, but I need to put it on Meetup, and I will do that tonight, Bronwyn. Okay, thank you, for, thank you very much, Mark. <laughs> okay, very good. Okay. Well, I won't be there for that one because mine... My mum's coming to visit for the weekend. Aww. So nice. Say hello from us. <laughs> He's blushing. <laughs> no, this is just my tan from the summer. <laughs> All right. You have been listening to the Year Na podcast. The official podcast <laughs> of the New Zealand Skeptics. What Are you sure it's a podcast? I think it's Are a podcast. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure it's not Morse code? Are you sure it's not passenger pigeon? 
<laughs> anyway, if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can email us at podcast at skeptics.nz. And um, we will see you all next time. Kakite. Kakite. Bye. And oh, by the way, if you've got access to turn it in, please email podcast at skeptics.nz and let me know. Thank you. <laughs> can you Bye. say that in Tireo? <laughs> no. <laughs> One day. <laughs> <laughs>